Well, welcome back to our worship series, Why Church? Week three, and so today we are focusing on being the body. And as we prepare to read God's word, let's join together in our prayer for illumination. It's found on the screen. Please join me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In the 12th chapter, we're beginning at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, it would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God so arranged the body, giving the great, greater honor to the inferior member, that, so that there would be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of, of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My very first pastoral appointment was to another St. Church. It wasn't St. Stephen's, it was St. Luke's on the Norfolk District in 2004. And the district superintendent at the time was Joe Savinsky. Joe is one of seven district superintendents that I have served under in my 18 years under appointment. Each DS has been different, but each has also been a blessing to me and to the church that I serve. Yet there's at least one way in which Joe Savinsky is unique among the seven DSs I served under. Why? Well, because he was the founding pastor of St. Luke's in 1973, 31 years before I was appointed. I got good advice from Joe and lots of stories from him and his wife Carolyn about the five years that they served at St. Luke's. And this week I reached out to Joe to kind of catch up and, and to also I, I wanted to ask his thoughts on what it was like serving as a district superintendent on a district in which you had started a church, even if it was quite a number of years before. And he shared with me the struggles of starting a church, including beginning services in a local school before a building could be constructed. And some of you have shared, and others like Lola Richards that has gone on to a greater reward have shared with me similar things about the beginnings of St. Stephen's. In fact, Dana Richards, one of our members, told me that the at, the, uh, at one of the services this fall when we had to move the outdoor service inside to the fellowship hall and, and use those folding chairs, he shared with me that it felt much like he could remember as a kid. As a kid when he was a member at St. Stephen's and, and going to St. Stephen's in one of the local schools. Joe Savinsky shared with me that St. Luke's had struggled over the years, but as founding pastor, and yes, even later as district superintendent, he was, in his own words, hopeful that it would come around. Hopeful that it would come around. For different reasons, perhaps, the Apostle Paul, I, I think, must have felt the same way about the church in Corinth hopeful that it would come around. In our lesson today, Paul is writing to a church that he knows well. For approximately 18 months, likely in the beginning of the summer of 50 AD, Paul lived and worked and taught and served and preached in Corinth. He was the founding pastor, and he must have grieved when reports reached him about the serious problems happening in the Corinthian church. But Paul's letter also attests to his hopefulness, his hopefulness that in the power of the Holy Spirit that the church would come around. In Paul's absence, the church had fallen into disunity. 
confusion over church discipline and others matters involving worship and holy living the people of the church were struggling they were struggling with the calling that God had placed on their lives to explain the proper understanding of the design and the function of the church and the unique nature of their new life in Jesus Christ Paul compares the church to the human body. He uses the description to explain that the church should operate, operate together in symphony. And Paul first claims that the human body has many members, many parts, yet it is one unified body. So too is the church, a community of people, many people, which in Christ is a unique whole. We might think of the church, the body of Christ, as an orchestra. For example, an orchestra must have three sections, a wind section, a string section, a percussion section. If someone or everyone plays strings, you don't have an orchestra, do you? If everyone were to play just percussion, that isn't an orchestra. If someone and everyone just plays wind instruments, there isn't an orchestra. Likewise, being the church and through our unity and being the body of Christ does not mean that everyone plays the same instrument. Rather, our unity in the church means that the, the members play on the same song, try to play on the same key, work together in harmony with one another in order to create a masterpiece to the glory of God. Paul today tells us, for in one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and we were made to drink of one spirit. Paul makes no effort to gloss over the fact that there are significant differences between people and Jesus' church. But he is clear to point out that there is an essential unity within our diversity. We are one body in Jesus Christ. And this fact is made flesh as we live and serve and as we reach out into the world in the name of Jesus so that God, God may be glorified. Differences should, should not be a problem, but false differences have to be put aside. Race, nationality, economic status, and more should not separate us because as Paul writes, whether Jew or Greek, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of the one spirit. Thus, in Christ, we are all part of the same team. What unites us is far more important than the differences that we might think separate us. This time of year, some of us are probably thinking about college football championships and, and NFL playoffs as teams are, are playing in and seeking to make it to what? 
the Super Bowl on February the 13th. Think of the members of the teams that are still playing. And yes, two more got eliminated yesterday, didn't they? Even if your, even if your favorite team isn't still playing, think of, of those teams that are. And there are differences in the ways that those members of the teams are still preparing for a game. The quarterbacks, what do they do? They practice passing. The receivers practice catching. The kickers practice kicking. The offensive linemen practice blocking. And I haven't even gotten to the defensive side of the team. Yet in spite of the differences, there still is an essential unity among them. There's the same head coach. There's the same game plan, the same playbook, the same goal, the same goal to have more points than the other team at the end of the game. In the church, there is only one head coach. Our one coach is Jesus Christ. He is the one who calls you and me in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gives you and me a game plan that we must be willing to make sure that we understand this game plan of Jesus Christ. And we must be willing to understand our part in it and our giftedness so that we can play the game. And we must look out and we must be curious enough to, to see what his plan looks like in our, our own context and in our local community and how you and I are called to be part of it and even struggle and yes, even argue over how to build a faithful consensus around what we are called to do as his church to serve the world. And then we seek, and of course, we're always doing this, but we're always continuing to seek the, power, the Spirit's power to grow in our ability to follow. And yes, even to, to discern if we are still moving in the direction that God is calling us. It is in these things that we find our unity in Jesus Christ. And we should seek to fiercely, fiercely is the word, fiercely maintain our focus on them. Yet our unity, our oneness as Christ's body should never be confused with conformity. Unity does not mean that we have to agree on every single thing. Unity does not mean that we have to be in lockstep with one another all the time. Yet we, if we are to be the body, the body of Christ, we can't allow non-essential differences to be the justification for division or any separation. One of the most important blessings of the church is, is that Jesus calls all kinds of different people to come to Jesus and to be his church, and to be his body at work in the world. As United Methodists, we understand that God's love and grace is for all people. God loves preveniently, before we're ever aware of it, right? 
God loves us preveniently before we are ever aware of it. And he loves us and he seeks to draw us and woo us deeper into a relationship with God. But not just us, the whole world. In fact, difference can be should be celebrated in the church. Differences in abilities, differences in function. And every part of the body needs to be welcome to participate because each part is important. Yet sadly, differences, racial differences, national differences, economic differences still have a, a, an effect, a way in, that we that affect the way that we live out as the church of Jesus Christ. In April of April 17, 1960, Martin Luther King was interviewed on the TV show Meet the Press. You can actually see the clip on YouTube. And he said this, he said, "It is a tragedy of our nation. Shameful tragedy." that 11 a.m. is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. At the time of King's interview, others had been saying something similar, maybe not those exact same words, but they had been talking about the 11 o'clock hour for almost 12, uh, 10, 10 or 10 years or more. It's hard to know when the, exact, the first person started to talk about the 11 o'clock hour. But of course, that's just symbolic of the life of the church in general. More than 60 years later, after King's interview, Sunday worship services continued to be some of the most segregated times of the week, even though experts have documented that we continue to make some progress over the years. The church is because it is made up of imperfect people like me and, and I presume you, we have work to do. We have work to do in our calling, our calling to be faithful, to, to be the church of Jesus Christ, to all the people of the world, to be his body reaching out into the world. The church is not foremost about buildings or budgets or bigness. The church is first and foremost about Jesus Christ, who lived and died and was resurrected that people like you and me, fallen and flawed people, might have life abundant and eternal and join, even in all of our flaws, joins in the work of Jesus' church to redeem the world. It's about his mission in this world. And he has gifted us. You see, you are the hands of Christ. You are the feet of Jesus Christ. We are his body in this world. And we're called to be about what God is up to in this world. In the words of Paul, you are the body of Christ. And individually, 
members of it. Praise. Praise be to God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the calling that you have placed on our lives. And Lord, we acknowledge that we don't always follow your calling, that we we stray and we go in different directions. But Lord, we want to be your body in this world. Lord, we want the church in all the places where two or more gather to be your body. And so, Lord, we pray for us. We pray for St. Stephen's. We pray for your churches everywhere. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us that we might be your faithful witnesses. Different members, but one. One in Jesus. Amen.